Hi and welcome to the Church Unlimited podcast. Church Unlimited is a vibrant, Bible-based church in North Lakes, Queensland that is passionate about helping people discover the genuine love of Jesus. If you are currently looking for a new home church, we'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship at either our 10am or 4pm service. For more information about our Sunday service or to find out how we can best help you, head to our website at churchunlimited.com.au. We hope you enjoy this great message from Sunday service. Excellent. Come on, let's give Jesus one more big shout of praise for all those great things. Excellent. Why don't you grab your seats? It's uh, so good to be here. And uh, I, I honestly, this is the last session. I think this is the fifth time I've spoken uh, since Friday. And uh, I, I've just been so blessed by this church. Hey, you guys are just so incredible. And just seeing uh, where churches, you know, come from. And, and I actually, you know, I don't know, some of you old timers, uh, I, I preached in this church before these guys were even here on, on a number of occasions in schools. And, and uh, you know, just to see where the church is at right now, I just think it is unbelievable. It is exceptional. And there is incredible momentum. There's faith. There's vision. There's going forward. There's life's change. There's leaders being developed. There's people breaking mindsets. And I'm telling you, it's just the beginning of what God is doing in North Lakes. And I just think it's so exciting to be a part of it. And uh, I want to just share, you know, Happy Father's Day to all the dads. And uh, I want to speak into that a little bit, speaking more about our Heavenly Father. But for those that were here Friday night, I shared that, you know, one of the key things that caused me to end up being on drugs, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, was the fact that my, my dad uh, left my mom or my mom and dad divorced when I was about six. And it kind of set me off on this journey of trying to earn back my dad's love by copying what he valued. And what he valued was drugs and sleeping around and that kind of stuff. And, and it really led me to, uh, you know, this thing of addiction and, and uh, caused me to be what society would call a, a junkie that was mentally ill. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and so, and then I got radically saved, but I took that same thing into my relationship with God where I was constantly striving striving to be good enough, you know, striving for God's love. And, and that's such a terrible thing. That's, re, that's religion when we're trying to strive for something that we actually already have for free. You know, imagine my own son just walking around living, trying to earn my love when he has it for free. And, and so, and then I, I shared because there's such a <clears throat> parallels of leadership people and authorities in our life, our own fathers, that we take who they are and we can put them on who God is. And I know there was a major breakthrough for me that at about 37 years old, I'm 44 this coming Friday, and at about 37 years old, uh, I've always had a good relationship with my dad. He's very, he's not a full-on Christian. He's very jovial, do you know what I mean? Loves a beer, well, about 10 beers. And, and uh, <coughs> that was it, anyway. All right, um, but he, he likes to drink, and, and, but he's a fun kind of jovial, you know, like life of the party kind of guy. I've always got on well with him. And, and, but there was always these issues, and a lot of it was blame because he had modeled drug addiction to me. And, and even at 37 years old, most of the time it was awesome, but he could say one thing and it would kind of trigger me. Do you know what I mean? It would push a button. And even as a 37-year-old, <clears throat> there'd be moments where I could even start to tear up a little bit. You know, I'd try and hold, hide it. And, uh, you know, 
And so there was stuff in me that I had to let go of. And the reality is, if we're 37 and still blaming our parents for our lives, then it's not our parents that were the problem. It's actually now me that's become the problem because I need to, I'm an adult now. I'm a grown adult. And yes, there was recognized there was some stuff, but now I have to stop being a victim and move forward into everything that God has for my life. And, And so I remember, God, I knew it was an issue. And I read this book by a guy called Jack Frost. Uh, a great book. I would encourage you to read it to learn about sonship. And it's called uh, From Spiritual Slavery to, to Spiritual Sonship. And it really talked about the blessing in honoring parents. And I realized that I, that I wasn't honoring my, my parents, my, especially my father. I knew there was issues there. And I actually felt God tell me to write a card to my father, my mother, their divorce, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, their divorce as well, and write four cards and put a thousand dollars in each card. You know it's God when you give your mother-in-law a thousand dollars. Because come on, like seriously, when God said that, I said, get behind me, Satan. That is from the devil. And, uh, and so in the card, we put a thousand dollars and a blank card on one side. I got my wife to honor each of those four pe- people. And then I filled the other side of the card and honored each of those four people. And really, God was setting me up because the main issue was with my dad. And sometimes like, God, come on, you could have saved me $3,000, just spoke about my dad. We would have been, you know, good, you know. I could have even given him two and I'd still save two. Anyway, and so, and so I remember when I was writing to my dad, and this is where that stuff started to come up. Just as a side thing, in, in marriages, I think this is such a powerful thing. Often when, we, when, when emotion starts to get heated about a certain situation and you're talking about this, this is the thing you're talking about or whatever, and emotion really starts to heat up, what you need to understand is you're no longer talking about the thing and you're actually talking about something else. But most times we never recognize that we're speaking about something else and we think this is the thing we're speaking about. And just a great tip that we've had a great mentor helping my wife and I is when that happens, and it's hard to do, but if you could recognize, hey, we've tapped into something else now that's a lot deeper, whatever the thing we're discussing, let's put that over here for a moment and let's have a discussion about why are we feeling like this? And you'll be amazed at what you learn that there's these hidden things, but then you can deal with them and take your relationship to another level. And so that was happening with my dad. And when I wrote this card, it was, um, you know, I, if I'd be honest with you, that stuff sort of come out because I'm like, well, what am I going to write? Thanks for making me a drug addict. You know, thanks for modeling drug addiction and alcohol abuse and sexual stuff. And, you know, and, and, and there was this anger because I had resentment toward my dad because I blamed him for my life. And so I remember God speaking to me and as I had to write this card, he started to remind me of my dad's childhood. And, and every now and again, my dad will have too many beers. And he'll start to talk about when he was a little boy and his father was just an alcoholic and was evil and, did, you know, bashed his, his mum, broke most bones in her body and would make him and his brothers fight until someone couldn't stand up anymore and did things that I couldn't even mention from this platform. And, and God started to remind me of how bad my father's father was and and then he started to show me supernaturally because many of my dad's friends who he'd party with and go to the pub with and they were all similar where they were divorced like my dad because of their lifestyle and God started to show me and remind me of some of my dad's friends who were divorced and struggled with alcohol like my dad and they also had children but they never saw their children and God started to show me that 
Many of these other men in my dad's era and with the same dysfunction, once divorce happened, they just made a decision of selfishness that I'm just going to live as if I don't even have children. But my dad, yes, he modelled a lot of dysfunction, but he made a decision that every Friday night as a six-year-old boy, right up until I was too old, every Friday night at 5.30pm, my dad would be out the front waiting for my sister and I. And he would take us somewhere and would spend the night and he'd bring us back the very next day. And my dad had felt like a failure as a father. <coughs> Excuse me. And in that moment, at 37, I wrote in that card all of those things. Dad, thank you so much because you could have acted like you didn't have children, but you were faithful to my sister and I. And my dad broke and began to weep and, and we gave him the $1,000 to honour him. And you know what? It was just a couple months later that my dad gave his life to Jesus Christ. And and you know, the amazing thing is my relationship with my dad changed and went to a whole new level. It was already good, but now it's incredible. But the parallel of my relationship with God the Father also went to another level because there is a parallel between the two. And it's amazing how we can take what our dads have or haven't done and place them on who the father is. And so I just want to give you three things that you need to know about your father in heaven. And then I'll kind of just speak to each one of those, just a a sentence or two to to dads. And, And the first one is this, you've got to know that when your father in heaven sees you, he sees perfection. You know, a lot of people don't believe that. Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, verse 4, <clears throat> excuse me. it says, For He chooses us in Him before the creation of the world, listen, to be holy and blameless in His sight. It doesn't say that we are holy and blameless. It says that in His sight, we are holy and blameless. And that's because He looks through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, to look at someone with rose-coloured glasses, what that means? It means to have a bias towards someone. When we're married, we do that with our families. You know, I'm allowed to talk to my wife as much as I want about how dysfunctional my family is. But as soon as she starts to agree or add a little something to what I'm saying, I put on my rose-coloured, I say, they are not like that. Even though I know they're worse than that. You're laughing because you know it's all true. But here's the deal with God is when He looks at you, He has on rose-coloured glasses. And the reason they're tinted rose is because He looks through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why no matter what you've done, where you've been, when He looks at you, He says, look at my boy. He's holy. He's blameless. Look at my daughter. She's holy and blameless. You know the whole thing of falling in love when we when we get hit with the cupid's arrow remember that for those that have experienced that richie you remember it's still going for you isn't it that's just that the level that you're on and, and and we start to you know when we get hit with that that arrow we start to do things that we wouldn't normally do we act a bit crazy and strange and you know, I don't know if you remember back in the days if, if you did go to a, a, a youth group and, and you kind of went maybe to worship God, but really you went because you were hoping to get hit with that arrow, you know, like, and, and maybe you were at youth and, and you were there and you, you, your eyes were focused on God and worship, but just for a moment, 
you were distracted and you took your eyes off God and you saw her across the room. And, and right as you just looked at her, she was in worship and for some reason the light shone on her and she did a swivel with her hair just while she was in worship. And, and in that moment, it was like, oh, you, you were just, it's like uh, you're done. You're hit by the arrow. And, and as you were hit, she stopped worshipping and she looked at you and your eyes locked. And, and then all of a sudden there were fireworks and chemicals going off and, and you'd know if you were in youth and, and this was one of your buddies, if you're a male and he's been hit by the arrow, you know, because like that week you're like, hey, dude, we're all catching up. We're going to watch every single Fast and Furious movie there is. And he's like, man, sorry, I can't this week. I'm watching The Notebook. And so, and he's been hit by the arrow, okay? But don't worry, he'll eventually, it'll wear off and he'll come back to reality and you know, I remember, and this is a true story my wife would verify, is when I first uh, hooked up with my wife. You know, funny story. In America, I kept saying I hooked up with my wife. And, in, and one day, I'd said it about 10 times. I'd just been living in America for, for four years. And I was saying it everywhere. We, like, we met and we hooked up. And, and, and then one day, a pastor comes to me and says, he's from Boston. He goes, what do you think hooked up means? I go, well, we just started dating. And he says, not in Boston. And, and so I basically told everyone in America, we met, we went for it, we had sex. And so if you hear that rumour, please squash it for me. <clears throat> but, she, but, she, <laughs> but she remembers being two months into our relate, you know, of being hit by that arrow. And she was perplexed as she sat with her best friend. And, and she's like, seriously? There's nothing wrong with him. Like everything about him is perfect. And now I've been married 19 years and there's a list that if I held it up here, it would touch the ground. And what is it in that moment of love and that chemical? It's like we are blinded to each other's wrongs. But let me tell you, true love, God is love. And the Bible says He keeps no record of wrongs. So what you need to understand is no matter how many times you've messed up, you're walking around like this and man, I can't believe I failed again and I'm unworthy. And God's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't have a record. It's not even here. It's like it doesn't exist because of the blood of Jesus. The second thing you got to know, just as for dads, I think one of the most important thing with our children is because there'll come moments and I've had some moments with my boys where they've really messed up. And it's so easy to kind of, you know, step into anger or step into, you know, and of course we have to discipline. So I'm not saying not to discipline and teach consequential thinking, but it's also important as a dad in that moment to also be like the father, to also make sure our children know that when they mess up, hey, you're a human and, and you've got a sinful nature and you've messed up, but you know what? It doesn't change who you are. You're still a son of God. You're still my son and you're loved and, and you're not the thing that you did, you are a man of God or a, or a woman of God. And you know, the second thing, just if the keyboarder could come, the second thing you got to know about your dad in heaven is that he'll always be there for you. Psalm 46 verse 1, <clears throat> excuse me, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I love that because one of the terms I hate for the generation that we live in right now is that they call it the fatherless generation. And you know, even many dads that are around, and one of the things that I would say to dads, and I'm speaking to myself too, is that we need to make sure that we're present. 
Because sometimes you can be at home and you say, well, I'm around and I'm around on weekends, but are you present? And I'm just as guilty. Let me tell you, there's times where I've got to put down the phone because my child has walked in the room and it's amazing the messages we're giving them. And if every time they walk in the room, we're not present, we're actually communicating in a message that they're actually not important. But the Father is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And as much as I want to be ever-present, there's going to be times when I'm not present for my kids when they need me. What One, because of geographical issues. There'll be times that I'll be in another city or, or, or they'll be at school or we'll be in different locations and I simply can't help them. But, but then because I've got my own humanity, there'll be moments where they really need me. But because I'm distracted by my own emotional self that's going, I just didn't recognise and see and I missed a moment. And, and so no one's going to be perfect, but your Father in Heaven is perfect. There's never a moment when you're in trouble that He's not there. He's ever presence. I remember it was a long time ago when I was a youth pastor on the Gold Coast. One of the things I love is in Australia that we have, we have $10 all-you-can-eat Chinese. And you know it's not that good, but it's $10 and it's all-you-can-eat. So it's awesome. And I was meeting a, a, a friend of mine for lunch and we had kind of made a pact together. We're like, seriously, don't eat breakfast. Let's meet for lunch. Let's make those people sorry they put up a sign that said, all you can eat. And I was driving my old van and my stomach was rumbling. And I was driving past this old church, Catholic church in Southport on the Gold Coast. And as I drove past on the way to all you can eat Chinese, I, I feel this voice on the inside that says, stop the car, go to the Catholic church. I'm like, no, sorry, I'm going to get all you can eat Chinese. So I keep driving my car and this voice keeps kind of bothering me and I keep ignoring it and I get to the restaurant, I hop out of my car, I start walking toward the doors and it just won't go away and I'm like, all right. And I turn around, I hop back in my car, I drive back to the Catholic church and I kind of walked up a set of stairs just like this one and I came to these stained glass window doors and I started to knock on the doors just quietly and started to knock a little bit more and after a few minutes I think there's no one there so I walk around the perimeter of the building and when I get down the side it's not stained glass windows it's clear windows and I can see that the pews are all turned over and it's almost like the place has been abandoned not even being used and I kind of walk back out and I come to the steps and and I just sit down on the steps I think well I'll just sit here for a moment and I'm only there for about maybe two, three minutes. And this lady who's about 60 plus, all dressed in black, I think she was from Poland. She looked European and she walks up and past the steps and I can tell that she's quite distraught. And now she walks past me and she walks to the same stained glass window doors and she too starts to gently tap on those doors. And as time goes on, you can tell that she's quite desperate and she starts to bang on those doors. and After about three or four minutes, she realises what I already know, that nobody's coming and quite dejected, she kind of slumps her shoulders and she walks away and she comes to walk back past me. I'm just sitting at the steps. And as she walks past me, I say, hey, are you okay? She says, I need to speak to a priest. I said, well, I'm a priest. And, you know, the Bible says I'm a king and a priest. I said, sit down, my sister. No, I didn't do that. <coughs> 
I said, I'm a youth pastor. I love to chat and we sat and we talked. And She said, you know, I've been married to the same man for about 45 years, I think. And she says, for 45 years, he's verbally abused me. Every day he tells me I'm no good, I'm ugly, I'm a waste of space. I'm just, he yells at me, he's angry all the time. And she said, the only thing that I live for is I have this son and he's just a, the most beautiful boy on the planet. And he married a girl and she's like an angel from heaven and she's my daughter. And last night they were giving birth to twin little boys in the Southport Hospital. And she said, they asked me to be there. And it's one of the most special moments of my life was two little twin boys came into the earth and I was in the room and and it was, and for a moment, it was special, it was beautiful. But then all of a sudden, machines began to beep and go off and there were complications and I was rushed out of the room. And after a short amount of time, both of the little boys, her grandsons, both died in that moment. She said, we cried the whole night, thinking, how in the world can this happen? And she said, I got home last night in the early hours of the morning and I woke up and as my husband was getting ready to go to work, there he went again with these normal rants and telling me how bad I was and telling me I'm the reason this stuff happens and just yelling verbal abuse at me. And he went off to work and <clears throat> this was the same morning. She says, I, I got up and I said, I can't do it anymore. And she made a decision to end her life. And as she got up getting ready to take her life, she was getting ready to end her life and this thought popped into her mind that when she was a little girl, about eight or nine years old, her grandmother used to take her to the Catholic Church. And because that thought popped in her mind and to this lady with her background, she thought God lived at the Catholic Church. And she made a decision that before she ended her life, maybe I'll go to where God lives and I'll see whether or not He can help me. You know, the thing I love about this story is to the best of my knowledge, this lady was not a Christian. She wasn't someone, she probably hadn't prayed for 40 years. She wasn't going to church. She just lived in her own life. But the moment that she needed her father, he made sure that someone was sitting on those steps waiting for her to arrive because he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. You know what I believe? If I had been disobedient, and gone off and eaten my all-you-can-eat Chinese, then somebody else would have had the privilege of waiting at those steps because God would have had someone else waiting to sit on those steps for that lady because He's an ever-present help. The last thing, and we'll close with this, is you've got to know about your Father in Heaven that He will never leave you, He'll never forsake you. Hebrews 13.5, the last part says exactly that. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You know, that Scripture is written in the Bible about five or six times, Old Testament and New. <clears throat> when God says the exact same thing five or six times, He's trying to smack you over the back of the head. And He's trying to communicate, hey, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You know, as dads, that's what we need to be to our kids. Of course I want my kids to live a good life and end up in good places. But you know what, if they don't, my kids need to know I'm in your corner no matter what. You might end up in the worst of the worst places that you could end up, but guess who's gonna be there? Dad's gonna be there right with you. 
You've got to know, and you, you might say, well, hang on. You, you say God will never leave me, but everybody else did. And you might say, but hang on a sec. Well, what about religion? What, what if I can never break free of this addiction? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. What if this only gets worse? What if I fall into a sin that the community deems as completely uh, unacceptable? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. How can you say that as I get ready to close? I say that because of what Jesus did on the cross. I wonder if you've ever thought about what Jesus did for us physically. The Bible tells us that physically, He was beaten in His face to such a pulp that He was unrecognisable. They grabbed His beard and they literally pulled it from His skin. They, They put a crown of thorns on His head and they beat it into His skull as the blood would have dripped down and they ripped off His robe and they laid Him over a wooden stock. And the Romans who ruled the day at that particular time in history, they were known for being notorious for ways to torture and execute people in such an excruciating way. And they would have this thing where they would whip someone and they would have pieces of bone on the whip and they would pull the whip down and with force and the bone would grab pieces of the flesh and literally take it off someone's back. It was actually illegal in that time period to give anyone more than 39 lashes because more than 39 lashes would often result in death. Jesus was given 39 lashes. His his back was opened up. His face beaten, the crown of thorns on His head. And He was fully God, but at the same time, He was fully man. And He he had to carry His own cross, but His humanity kept shining through and He couldn't even carry the cross and somebody else had to carry it for Him. And eventually they led Him to a place called Golgotha where they laid Him on this wooden cross and they pulled out a hand and they put a nail through it. the other hand and put a nail through it and then they would take your feet and put one foot on the other and put a large nail that went through both feet. It'd lift you up in the air and the thing that was so excruciating (coughs) about crucifixion is it wasn't quick. Most people would be on the cross for three days. And what would happen is with your whole body hanging from the nails and you're just hanging, you couldn't get breath in your lungs and you'd start to suffocate. And the only way that you could get breath with the pain of the nails in your hands and with your back opened up, you'd have to pull yourself up just so you could get to a posture where you could get breath. (sighs) But then the pain would become too much and you would go like this and you'd start to suffocate. And Jesus went through that over and over and over again. I, I don't know if you ever thought about what He did for us physically, but not just physically. Have you ever thought about what He did for us emotionally? He had 12 so-called best friends. One of them sets Him up portrays Him with a kiss for money. Ten of them flee and when Jesus needs His buddies the most, He's been there for them every day for three years, but now they flee as soon as there's trouble. One of them, Peter, kind of has the guts to hang around. But three times and while Jesus is watching, while Jesus is arrested and being beaten, He sees Peter and He hears Peter, His best friend. He swears, he cusses, and he says, I've never met him before. Don't even know him. Emotionally, Jesus is on the cross and the very people that he's dying for are literally coming and they're spitting at him. They're hurling insults, calling him loser. 
thought you were God, thought you were someone special. Emotionally, Jesus had to watch his own mum, Mary, watching him be crucified. But as I close with this, I wonder if you've ever thought about what Jesus did for us in that moment spiritually. Because the spiritual makes the emotional and the physical look like a walk in the park. Because there's a moment when Jesus was on the cross and He says something that doesn't seem to fit the rest of the Gospels. It seems out of place in the way that He would talk to the Father. It seems like it doesn't fit. And the Bible tells us that at 12 o'clock at lunchtime, when it's one of the most lightest times of the day, that the earth turned dark for three hours, 12 till three in the afternoon, it turned pitch black, turned dark. And in that moment of darkness, Jesus said something that doesn't seem to fit where He cried out to the Father. He said, God, why have you forsaken me? And it just doesn't seem to fit because only... Moments earlier, Jesus is on the same cross with the same physical pain, the same emotional, and He talks to God and He says, Father, as they're spitting on Him, He says, please, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that was in line with who God was. But now something has happened that has caused Jesus to almost speak out of His humanity where He he can't handle it. Why would you leave me? And the thing that caused Him to cry out is the same thing that caused the earth to be dark when it should be light. And it's actually the very reason that Jesus came to the earth. It was in that moment, you've got to catch this. It was in that moment, the reason He went to the cross, there was a transaction that took place. The sin of the world was put on the one that had never, ever known sin. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that, the sin of the world. Every sin up until that point that had been committed and God with foreknowledge of every sin that would be committed. Think about that. Every act of child molestation was put on Jesus. Every rape, every gang rape, every genocide, every time someone clicked a pornography site, put on Jesus. Every affair, every act of drunkenness, every bit of sin you've committed, every sin I've committed, every sin the world has committed. As a Christian of 20-something years, I know the feeling of giving into a moment of temptation when I shouldn't have. And just the condemnation, the shame and the weight of that one sin. Imagine the sin of the world coming upon you. In that moment, Jesus became disgusting, an abomination. The Bible says He became sin. And the penalty for sin was separation from God. And in that moment on Father's Day, we talk about today, the Father did the hardest thing that He could ever do and He gave us the greatest gift we could ever receive. Because when He's boy, when Jesus needed Him the most, I mean physically, emotionally, but now the spiritual weight of the sin and what Jesus felt in that moment when He needed God so much, He felt God the Father for the first time turn away from Jesus. And He felt the separation He couldn't help but cry, why would you leave me now? But see, the reason why God the Father turned His back on Jesus is so that I could say to every single person, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter how bad you think it is, 
there will never ever be a moment where you see the back of God the Father. Jesus saw the back of God so that no matter how many times you mess up, you'll only ever see the open arms of a loving Father that says, I rejected my son Jesus so that I'd never ever have to reject you. And I wonder where your heart is right now. I wonder if you're right with God. Maybe somebody brought you along and you're new to church like I was 20 years ago and it's a bit overwhelming. But just like I did 20 years ago for the first time, something in here said, this is right, it's real and God loves me and I'm gonna take a step to invite Him into my life. I wonder if you're here today and you've never ever given your life to Jesus. But Father's Day of 2020 will be your moment to say yes. Or I wonder if you're here and you've said yes before and you've invited Him in, but for whatever reason, life happened. And if you were to be really honest, you just know that your heart right now is not with God. Somewhere along the road, stuff happened and your heart just ended up away from God. And Maybe even as I'm talking, you, you might think, Lucas, you make it sound so simple, but Lucas, if you knew how far my heart was from God, you wouldn't think it's that easy. Let me tell you that the further in life, remember this forever, the furthest your heart can ever be from God, the absolute furthest it can ever be from God is one sentence. One sentence that says, God, I'm sorry for where I've ended up. I'm sorry for what I've done. God, would you come and live in my heart again? He says, I've been waiting for you to say that. So I want to ask the question on Father's Day 2020. If you're in this place and you're not right with God, either one, because you once were, but now you're away from God for whatever reason, or two, you've never, ever done this before. And today you're drawing a line in the sand and say, I'm going to Invite God into my heart. If that's you, I want every single person to close their eyes and bow their heads. And I'm simply going to count to three. And if you're in either of those two groups, when I get to three, I want you to lift your hand. I'll see it. You can put it down. I'll include you in the prayer I'm about to pray. Every eye closed, every head bowed. One, friend, I tell you, He loves you more than you've ever dreamed or imagined. Two, it doesn't matter what you've done where you've been or who you are, you're God's precious son or precious daughter. Three all over this place. Come on, just lift your hand nice and high. Yeah, I see. Is there a hand there? Come on, just lift your hand. Yeah, I see your hand. I see your hand over there as well. Two people already saying yes. Come on, someone else. Just Are you saying yes? Are you lifting your hand? No, you're cool. Two people already saying yes. So proud of you guys. Yeah, I got your hand there as well. Awesome. You can put your hand down, young lady. So good, so proud of you. Someone else. Someone else. Just with every eye closed, every head bowed, just one more time, the people that lift your hand, just show me your hand one more time because I don't want to miss one person. Yeah, I've got one person here. I've got another young lady down the front here and I've got another young lady over there. So proud of every, and you at the back as well. We've got four people there. I'm just gonna, the guys at the back have seen you and, and, and someone's going to come and chat with you after the service to see if there's any way we can help you. But what I want to do right now, if you lifted your hand, everyone can open their eyes. But if you lifted your hand, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And I'm just going to help you to repeat after me. And I'm going to say some words that basically just helped you. Uh, it's not a special thing. You have to say this, but it's just simple words that I'm going to help you with to say to God, hey, God, I want to start a relationship. I want you to come and live in my heart. And I'm going to lead you in that. 
So if you're one of the four people that lifted your hand, when you say the words, I want you to mean them with all your heart. But as a church family, because we're celebrating this amazing moment that you've just done right now, what we're going to do is we're not going to leave you out there by yourself. We're going to say the words as well, even though we've already done it a million times. But we want to join with you and partner. But if you're one of those four people, come on, let's just close your eyes. And I want you to repeat after me. Say, Dear Father, thank You for sending Jesus to die for my sin. I turn away from everything that I've done wrong. I thank You that You forgive me for all of my sin. Tonight, I invite You into my heart. Help me to live for You. Help me to know You. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed this message. We pray that you and your family are richly blessed by the love and grace of Jesus. If you're ever in the area, we would love for you to join us for Sunday worship.